Hey there, welcome to On Background. I'm Fred Delory, and I want to start by thanking you for tuning in. And as a reminder, please subscribe if you haven't done so already, so that you don't miss any episodes. We aren't taking a break. We're going to keep chugging along every week with new content. So subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes. So anyways, right now, I'm cozied up here in snowy Ottawa. You know, it's that Christmas season vibe all around us. I've always had a soft spot for Christmas, honestly. It's when all the politicians are gone, things are much more relaxed and we can all breathe. This chill time always hits different for me. Probably because of all those years I spent as a political staffer. It's like the world hits pause and you finally get to drop your phone for a bit and hang out with loved ones and just breathe. Uh, And that got me thinking. Why not dedicate an episode to the world of staffers? You know, those folks who are pretty much glued to their work, always on call, where a vacation means you're you're only checking your phone every hour instead of every five minutes. It's a wild ride full of ups, downs, and everything in between. There's this unique bond, too, between staffers, no matter which party they're from. It's like this weird, wonderful little community we exist in. So this week, we're mixing it up a bit. I'm sitting down with folks from all over the political spectrum, people who've lived the life, breathed the air of backrooms and campaign trails. We've got Matthew Conway, a familiar face with from many campaigns, and now the National Vice President of the Conservative Party of Canada. Melissa Cotton, who's been at the helm of the Liberal Research Bureau and had her time at Queen's Park. And then there's Steve Outhouse, a, a guy who's been a chief of staff in various ministries during the Harper years, even for Pierre Polyev, the current Conservative leader. And we're not stopping there. I'm also bringing in Melanie Richet, my fellow CBC Political Pulse panelist, to give us that NDP perspective. And what ties all these people together? It's their dedication, their love for this country. And while they might have been called staffers, they're leaders through and through. So let's dive in. First up, I'm bringing in my old friend Steve Outhouse, a guy I've worked with and against more than I can count. So there's a lot of ways people... Uh, get involved in politics, to get involved on the Hill. A lot of people on the Hill get involved uh, from campaigns, working in campaigns, and then they get in there. Your path is fascinating to me because it's very different. You're one of the most sought-after political campaigners in the country for the Conservatives. You've just successfully ran the Alberta campaign. You're currently the New Brunswick campaign manager. You ran two national leadership campaigns for Leslie Lewis, one for Pierre Lemieux. Um, you've run provincial leadership campaigns for John Lawrence. Very involved. But you were a bureaucrat. I was a bureaucrat. <laughs> a public servant. A we public servant. Well, well, we were all public servants. So, okay, so you're trying to pretend you weren't, you're trying to water that down. So I remember, first time I heard of you is we formed government and, you know, every, all, People, campaigners, trying to look for work on the Hill. Lots of people coming in because we have 500 jobs to fill. And uh, I, you were a bureaucrat with fisheries and oceans, right? Mm-hmm. You and two other people, yeah. uh, Scott Tessier and Kim Purchase, mm-hmm. were, were working there. And Laola Hearn was the minister. So what happened here? How did yeah. you end up becoming a political staff? So I had no idea how political staffing works. So I've been a, uh, I will say, public servant uh, in the bureaucracy. 
since about uh, <laughs> nine. Okay, so the word the word it contains. So no, the no, word. That's, All right, fine. no that's fine. <laughs> Let's move on. Uh, <laughs> since about 90, 90, uh, 98, really, is when I started working full-time in, in federal government. And I was doing media relations primarily. So I worked closely with uh, with different ministers' offices. And, you know, you're a media spokesperson, so you're often kind of quoted in the media and so on. But right. I really enjoyed media relations. But I thought from working, you know, a little bit with ministers' offices as a bureaucrat that I knew how they worked. Well, I turns out I didn't. And I had no idea how to ever break into that to that world. And I remember when the Conservatives won in 2006, uh, thinking, wow, it'd be kind of like, this is exciting. And, right. and you know, I kind of like to put my name forward. So I'm did, sure were you political before this all? Like, did you have a leaning so I did have, a, yeah, I was, I, I, I will put it out here on the record. I was a, a card-carrying liberal member. Yes. I've just outed you. Wow. You did, yeah. It was. You outed yourself. Actually, actually quick story on that. I was, a, when I was the EDA president in Orleans, Royal Gallopo was a noted former liberal, our former uh, right. MP. And so, uh, you know, Jason Kenney came to speak one night and, and uh, you know, he said that how he was a former liberal and everyone laughed and clapped and Royal Gallopo got up and said he was a former liberal and everyone laughed and clapped. And I got up and said, well, I was a former liberal too. And everyone booed. <laughs> I was like, what? I, I literally said the same words that those, those two guys said. Uh, but anyway, um, so I was kind of in the deficit fighting age. Uh, I was a card carrying liberal. And I think I came to learn that it was more on the fiscal conservative side and at that point in time finance minister martin and, and right so the blue liberals Christian. that were basically trying to steal from yeah. the reform party their fiscal 100 percent. Right? it was was in that in that camp and you know loved watching the deficit kind of come down every year and then once the deficit got dealt with it was like oh what are they what are they doing from here right. <laughs> so and then maybe i kind of found out some differences so you're there you're you're interested in becoming uh getting into politics yeah though, and we're in government you're in the, the public and, and i just thought They've got everyone they need. Like you know, they just ran this you great assume, campaign. Yeah. Uh, you know, they they had they had defeated the the juggernaut of, of Paul Martin. Like this was, I'm sure they've got everybody they need. There's, so I'll just I'll just kind of sit back and just I'm not going to apply for anything. If something works out, then that would be great. And then literally the next day, I went into work and my my manager said would you be willing to go upstairs to the minister's office for a couple weeks was what they, what they said. And just to uh, help out in transition. Cause, cause Loyola right. Hearn didn't like, he was a Newfoundland MP, yeah. brand new minister, been on the Hill for a while, mm -hmm. but he didn't have a team of people. So right? not, I mean like any MP would had, you know, roughly kind of like two staff here in Ottawa and another, you know, two, maybe three back in the constituency. So, the way our system works, when people get appointed to cabinet, it, it's all dealt with as a big cigarette. This is something I kind of think should, we should probably look to change a little bit, yeah. which is like, you know, the day that we actually take government, it would be great if ministers were arriving with chief of staff yes. or director of communication as opposed to not being able to tell anyone and being told if they leak it, then they'll be dropped from cabinet. And so they're scared to death to talk to anybody. Right and they're so. getting briefed for a month before they have any before staff. Before they have any staff. Briefed with them. Yeah. So I, um, so I was asked if I would go, um, you know, the, the, the public service will do that. Well, they'll put a few people in to just to kind of keep basic flow of information going. So how do they get some some information into the office and there's lots of media calls. So putting the media relations person up there 
was kind of a natural thing to help because everyone wants to do the meet the minister interview and will you have him come on this broadcast or that broadcast, et cetera. So that's how I was asked to go up for, quote, two two weeks. So I remember when this happened, there was a lot of young conservative staffers that were not happy that you as a bureaucrat, uh, and I think you were called a liberal. I don't think anyone yeah. actually knew you were a liberal, but they just assumed because you were a bureaucrat. But I remember you, it was you, Scott, and Kim, mm-hmm. and I'll have to say by the end of our government time, mm-hmm. and I've told you this before, I think you were three of the most... Uh, uh, effective and competent staffers we had. So it was, uh, you. Uh, you guys did great work and it was great that you were able to, to come in and become political. Yeah. And and you've done a lot of stuff since then. You've worked for, uh, you were former chief of staff to our current leader, mm-hmm. right? Pierre right. Um Other than, but then you, you started get. how'd you get into campaigns? Yeah. Where did that come from? Well, just just to, I'd like to loop back just for one final thing on the, on the you know, getting into it. You, you had to jump through a lot of hoops and there was, there was a time where I did have to certainly build trust up. So right. I remember, you know, when, when, when Loyola Hearn asked me to, to join his staff kind of longer than the two weeks, um, I had to uh, come over for a meeting uh, at, uh, at PMO and uh, uh, Jenny Byrne was sitting in the room uh, with the minister and, and she interviewed me and uh, I had to kind of make the case as to why I was a trustworthy you know, individual and so on. And so you know, fast forwarding, one of the most gratifying personal calls I ever got was later on when, I, when Jenny called me to kind of talk about the the chance to become, you know, our current leader's chief of staff when he right. was a minister because it was we'd come full circle from sort of having to prove that I was yeah. you know on the team to saying, "Hey, this is a position that we'd like you to like you to take." And you know, how how I got involved with campaigns was an evolution through the time as as a staffer, whereas it was interesting because yes, there definitely was resistance and there definitely were people who saw me as an interloper or I just was in for my own personal uh, career development, and I was, you know, quote, going to go back to the public service when this was all over. And I had people tell me flat out, they're like, you're not going to be the one with him in the next campaign. So, you know, why should I listen to you on this or on that? Right. I uh, was seen very much as a, as a temporary staff member. Um, I think, you know, you build that up over time, including, you know, both Scott, Kim, and I were all faced with the same thing at the same time, yep. which was the public service had originally told us that we could take a leave of absence for, for two years and then potentially renew it. And then they came to us and said, sorry, we, we gave you wrong information. You oh, have wow. to decide <laughs> in or out. And, you know, we had pensions, we had health benefits, we had a all guaranteed these things. job, right? Guaranteed That's job, there for you, for your... um, you know, for, for a lifetime with, a, you know, a great pension at retirement at 55 because I'd started young enough. And all three of us walked away. We were like, yeah. we, we love, we love what we do. It's a different in the, feeling, in the right? Minister's Being office. Politics is a. Yeah. Once you're in, it, it sucks you in, and it's it really hard to is. get out. And like you guys gave up those. <laughs> it's like a disease or yeah. an addiction, whatever bad thing you'd like to say, but uh, a treadmill with no health benefits. But <laughs> it's uh, off. We, you know, so we, so I think all three of us started to to people started to realize, oh, well, this is. This is different. These people aren't just here just right. to, to right. help out. And you guys did great work, right? Like you guys were, you knew your files and you're able to provide helpful advice and support. Yeah. And, and, and so knowing the internal workings of, of government, it made it a lot easier to help you know, serve our ministers in that way and, and to serve them well. And then to, to your point about campaigning, well, I started, I, I, I dove in. Um, I just, I love the partisan side of it. It was just this piece that had been missing. Like I, I but my first campaign, uh, you you may remember because oh, I believe your job was the Atlantic desk you were at in that Newfoundland point in time. during the ABC. Uh, I was the federal conservative spokesperson 
uh, at a time when Premier Danny Williams and the PC party Newfoundland and Labrador were you know, totally mounting their anybody but conservative campaign. So I was one of dozens of people involved in the campaign across the province. province. And when I say dozens, I'm probably overestimating that we had seven local campaigns. Uh, I went to Newfoundland, but my, my friends were going off to, to war is how I saw it. And they were, they were going to be on the ground in, in St. John's. And so I went and, and stayed in the, the spare room of now Senator David Wells, right. who was just David Wells <laughs> yeah. at that point in time, and my coworker. And, um, and uh, I was out in the media every day. Our candidates were just getting pounded relentlessly. You know, the open line shows on VOCM, we were all being called every name in the book. Uh, it was it was grueling. It was absolutely grueling. But in a weird way, it was like we were just fighting the good fight. Yeah. And I kind of, you know, would go out you know, every day and get punched in the face and then get up and do it again the next day. Right. And you got addicted to that. That's great. Weirdly <laughs> enough. Yeah. <laughs> when, and, when you and now say you've made it a like full that, career where you do uh, campaigns. Maybe there's some bigger issues I need to opt <laughs> <laughs> but you, you basically went, it's funny, you went from the, I'll, and I'll, I'll use your words, from mm -hmm. the public service to being a uh, full-time campaigner mm -hmm. in many ways. Yeah. So it's interesting with us, with conservatives, um, to your point about, you know, coming from the public service and having to go through that, how you had to do that, you know, sit down and have that interview. And they did that, they interviewed lots of people, not mm -hmm. just because of your background, but I find in the conservative movement, there you basically have to really prove your chops that you're a part of the movement that you're like, we're a, a party. Uh, I, I call it a coalition. Some say we're factional, like a lot of different, lot of different factions within the party and you have to come from one of them. So to come from the bureaucracy, yeah. it's almost like, like that's an opposite, like that's like really outside the realm. So to even to punch through that barrier, uh, is incredibly hard. So kudos to you and your, and your, your colleagues for being able to do that. And, and again, as I mentioned, like, and thrive. Like Kim went on to be uh, one of the senior members of the of our government in various mm -hmm. various positions, chiefs of staff as well. Uh, all of you ended up as chief of staff, right? That's all right. three of you. And Kim uh, also went on to be chief of staff to provincial party leaders, Correct. conservative yeah. party leaders. So uh, we all got into it and just found yeah. out our stride. We loved it. Yeah. So that's awesome. So, and you've done several stints on the Hill. You were most recently deputy chief of staff to Aaron O'Toole. Um, I'm curious if you've noticed um, a, a change in the supports for mental health on the Hill. Um, and I'm putting you on the spot here. Yeah. Um, but it's just, it's something that comes up a lot. And it's one of those things that politics is a grueling, grueling. Like there's, it's exciting. Yeah. And I think that's what, what feeds so much of us. It keeps us all in, all involved. But um, from that side, what supports are there? And if you know anything on the conservative side mm -hmm. that you could speak to, it'd be interesting. Because that's something as on the campaign side, I wasn't in on the Hill yeah. per se in the last few years. Yeah, so there are, I, mean, I think there are kind of Hill-wide resources that are there in terms of employee assistance and so on. And there's certainly policies that are in place, you know, from the Parliament of Canada that would cover, you know, members, staff, and OLO staff, and and uh, you know, presumably others. Uh, like, and then within, if you're on the the Liberal side right now, and you're in government, then there's of course, you, you know, I I would say probably even more uh, extensive employee assistance, you know, programs that are available. Um, it really boils down to to who's managing the staff. I mean, that's that's the reality. I, right. I think there is a much greater awareness of the importance of mental health. But I think we all have to acknowledge, and for anyone looking to get into the field, 
you have to be aware that this is not a field that lends itself to balance. It's become a bit of a joke uh, with my friend circle because I'll say, you know, they'll say, well, how are things going? And, and I've, I've said for about whatever, 15 years now, yeah, I just could use a little balance in my life. And, <laughs> and I guess like, yes, you were saying this since 2006. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's right. So someday maybe. Uh, now, with with the holidays here and things like that, like this this is these are times where people um, there are natural ebbs and flows to the energy on the hill and and the work that goes on in politics, and you need to seize that break. Like when it comes up, don't be that person who's sending emails on Boxing Day to your team. Like just let yes. everyone kind of just just relax just and disappear. take the break that's that's yeah. there. Um, you don't get extra points. I mean, unless there's an actual crisis going on, and unfortunately, we have all. You know, had to deal with those in different times. You know, when we're we're in government, in particular. Um, but it comes down to who's managing the people and their attitude and so on. And I, I think, you know, from my perspective, as being kind of, you know in chiefs of staff roles or deputy chief of staff roles, um, you need to be clear with people about expectations. You need to be fair when you're asking for something that is, if it's pointed out as unrealistic, then you need to adapt and give people more time you know burning people out and, and pushing them into the ground doesn't doesn't do anything to help them um, and ultimately doesn't help you when they walk away and you need to train up new staff so right. you need to keep that in mind but uh, it ultimately does boil down to who's managing the staff and what's their take because we all know the right things to say about mental health and we all know the right things to say about respecting people's boundaries and so on um, but if you are you know emailing your folks or texting them at midnight and then, you know, texting them again at 6 a.m. to say, why haven't you gotten back to me? You, you start to create a workplace that right. is going to have some issues. Right. That's a good point. And that's the, uh, that's the nature of our business where it's 24 seven. Uh, but I know the holidays to me when I was working on the Hill was always that time of the year that I loved the most because mm -hmm. it was really usually phones down. You can yeah. at least have a few days where particularly Christmas day and boxing day, it's usually it's yeah. dead quiet and it's the only time of the year you get yeah. that. Uh, no other holiday has that break. So I find it's uh, an important time to be able to yeah. uh, enjoy and, that. And that's one of those things where, in particular, for if you're in the chief of staff role or you're in a manager role, you can set up boundaries and you can set up systems so that people know that they can take a break and not have to be staring at their phone constantly and ignoring their family or friends. Um, so what I would tell staff when we would go on uh, you know, holiday break or Christmas break or what have you was – Leave it so it's ringer on, like for if if need be, and check your phones at and and usually I'd say if if they weren't on actual vacation because there's sort of the you know there's the dual right. status like you're on real vacation you're on a beach somewhere or you've gone to visit your family and you're you're totally off the grid in which case we need to leave you alone as best we can during that time, or there's others where you're, where you're working from home you're on call as it were, and I'd say check your phone at nine check your phone at noon check your phone at four. Um, that's sort of when we can expect people to sort of look at their phones and say, oh, there's a little bit of batch of emails here, right. like let's clean them up and leave your ringer on so that if it's truly urgent, we know that we can call you and get you. Yeah, and hope no one abuses that uh, to your point if, earlier. Yeah, My, yeah I, I've tried oftentimes, um, like just, you know, Sundays, I thought, you know, it would be nice to just 
phone down, spend time with family. And I, the thought of not looking at my phone every few hours gives me such immense anxiety. Yeah. And I'm not yeah. even working full time in politics anymore. It still gives me anxiety. Mm-hmm. The thought of not like what's going on out there. Uh, so it is, there's these mental blocks we have. To... Yeah. And, and that's, we kind of create those ourselves. And, and yeah. partly it's because when we're in environments where there's a lot of uncertainty and, and there's all those things shifting. And that's where, when I was in the director of communications realm, that was the, I mean, uh, my hat's off to everyone who takes on a DCOM role because you have to be on t- on top of things and and what's going on on Twitter. Yeah, Twitter is not real life, but boy, it affects your life. It seeps into it quickly, and and, uh, and so if you aren't aware of something that's going on, and that's why, you know, constantly refreshing and constantly checking. I mean, it's no wonder you know people burn out more and more in these types of positions because it's it's that way. Like when we when we started, not to age ourselves too much, but I mean, I remember having a debate about whether we should have a Facebook page or not. Like, right. It was at that point where, you know, oh, maybe, is this going to be around in two years? Who, who yeah. knows? You know, so yeah, it's, it's changed a lot. Yeah, it certainly has. So having been from so many different angles where you've, you've been in the public service, you've been a staffer and you've been a campaigner, what's the best part about being uh, on the Hill as a staffer? Yeah, I think for me, uh, I am without making myself sound too Pollyanna-ish, like I am a true believer and I believe that we can make a difference and I believe that getting good people elected makes a difference, you know, for the country right. or the province or whatever level you're, you're working at. Uh, I remember walking off the hill once uh, with Scott Tessier, who was my, my chief at that point in time in our you know first mandate. And, you know, Parliament Hill was there. It wasn't all dug up like it is now. It's all <laughs> it was majestic and looked great. And um, there was even probably even less security at that point in time. And we're leaving. And I said, oh, like, it just just doesn't seem real, does it? Like, wow. Like, kind of like, oh, what a privilege. And he's like, I don't know, man. It feels pretty real to me. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you're right. You're right. It, it, but, uh, you know, having a chance to sit down with decision makers and people who are deciding what to do, uh, you know, with the country or this program or that policy and the direction it's in and having a chance to shape it. That's very exciting. Even I'm not a policy wonk at all, but just to be part of those, those conversations. And so I, I would spill that over into the campaign side, which is still, you're still charting a course and putting it out there. And, it, and again, it sounds a little idealistic, but you're putting it out for the people to decide, is this the direction we want to go or that? The less noble way is just just the fight, you know. I mean, we all we, the internal know, fights. Uh, no, I, the internal fights. <laughs> that's a different angle. Uh, but when you're you're fighting uh, in theory on the yeah, campaign yeah, yeah. trail with the other the other team as opposed to within our own team, uh, I, that's just it, it gets kind of exhilarating sometimes. Where there's just people like you're clashing and you're, you're having it out in the media and you're 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 going at it. Um, yeah, like the ABC campaign was, uh, in many ways, it, it ground me into a pulp. Right. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, I was alive. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, the, your first real campaign, right? That, that was. was, that was my and first what a campaign. heck of a way to start, because yeah. you can't get worse than that. Like you had no chance of winning. You yep. were, you were an enemy, right? The the our mm-hmm. the conservatives were were uh, a foreign Traitors, entity. People were called to, in Newfoundland yeah. at the time because of the Accord issue. Uh, so to go through that, like it made you very strong. It set it set a bar that has never been surpassed. Like I remember, you know, coming to work for I'd, I'd worked for other regional ministers since then, from you know Leona Gluka in the, the north, and and Jim Prentice for a time for you know who oversaw Calgary and so on. And um, anyway, and 
there's never been anything like it. Like that was just that was a fight like I'd, I'd never never seen before. So right. it, it made it it set a it set a bar for sure. But Your next campaign must have been weird. It was like, hey, where's all the? <laughs> yeah, that's right. It was like, oh, this is yeah. There's some mild mild disagreements here. Oh no, <laughs> but uh, but certainly going into the Alberta campaign with the UCP and the NDP right. like that, um, you know and. Like obviously I'm biased and everyone can take that into account, but I think even just the pundits afterwards would evaluate that the NDP campaign was incredibly personal and went after Premier Smith in a very aggressive way um, and a messaging track that was, uh, well, you're a big fan of narrative. It was a very, very negative narrative. And um, so, you know, going out and pushing against that every day was, uh, you know, it gets gets you up to have the fight, and when you get the win at the end of the day, it certainly helps too. That but, was a neat experience. I got to yeah. say, it was my first time. You really, I really, uh, you want, I'd like to do it again. Actually, <laughs> it was a, well. We'll see what you do. Before then, I was, uh, I had racked up several moral victories that you know people were happy right. You've about. over a lot of your campaigns overperformed expectations, that's right. right? And that's always a, a great way to yeah. to come out of campaigns. I find for me in campaigns, they are exciting. Uh, I love so much of them, and you and I have had a lot of conversations because we, you and I competed against mm-hmm. each other in a lot of a lot of races three leaderships and uh and you know how much i really mm-hmm. also hate a lot of it right mm-hmm. and don't like the fighting and and kind of want to get away from it yeah. um but my biggest thing with campaigns afterwards is i always go into a depression after a campaign yeah. win or lose no matter what it is when we won in 2011 majority government um it was my whole life for years every day it was getting up i was the decom of the party was fighting and we were dealing with the the in and out scandal at the time and i was the lead uh, person on that and then to go through that campaign and to win and everything just stops particularly on the campaign side the government still has to they're probably busier but i wasn't on the governing side at that time uh, so it was uh, this weird just blackness. Like yeah. It was just this, like the acceleration is gone, and I think that's what, what yeah, I Yeah, you miss. go from 100 to zero. All of a sudden, yeah. it's done. And, and losing's even worse. Well, <laughs> that's what I mean. I mean, when, you know... Um, when when you won the leadership in 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 2020, I mean, off you went to you know, and folks went to to OLO and started that going, and and you did. I was invited in and joined later, but yeah, for me, you know, we had we had run Leslin's campaign and had definitely you know overperformed what people were expecting, and so yeah. we got a lot of high Scared fives the heck and kudos. Us, right? Yes, were... I I realized afterwards how how uh, concerned you were. I started to pick up on it there, but um, <laughs> when you started to attack us, but anyway, that's a whole other podcast contrast, probably. Contrast, contrast, right? Um, the um, but it was we went from 100 miles an hour to to, to zero, um, yeah. and the winner has to keep going and and take over, you know, OLO uh, and everything. But um, it it is easy to get into a funk and and have that spin out into something longer because it does your life can revolve around this. And I, I've always said this to staffers when we do training and, and so on. And uh, it's like, don't don't let this job define you. And and that's so much easier said than done, Fred. I mean, honestly, yeah. because it does become such a big part of our identity. But, you know, I had people, it was very interesting for me to, to step out in between. So I, I stepped out after uh, our first mandate from 06 to 08. Uh, and then I stepped out in 08. I was coming back in and doing some short-term contracts and things. Right. But I was, was working at my church at the time and so on. And so when I left, people unfriended me on Facebook. Uh, they, uh, really? they didn't, you know, like all of a sudden people who were just my biggest fans, you know, like in, in within my, my circles, I no longer served a purpose. Um, you Fascinating. Know, they didn't, I guess some of them didn't put it together that I might come back at a, at a right. later time or whatever. But I've, I've noted those people uh, <laughs> in my, my Rolodex here. But the um, 
people truly and and all staffers need to know this. Uh, there's people you think care about you, but they're really only interested about how close you sit to somebody else. Right. And when I was no longer a director of communications for a cabinet minister, I mean, I, I doubt they wished me harm, but they certainly weren't going to. You anymore. know, the invitations stopped coming, and the you know the check-in calls, and the how's it going, and all those things are. Uh, you no longer serve a purpose for a lot of people. So if your identity is tied up in the fact that you are minister so-and-so's such-and-such, at some point that comes to an end. And I, I remember yeah. saying that to to my wife when we were talking about this. I said, there are so many more ways to lose your job uh, as a staffer than there are to, to keep it. Like, right. it, it does eventually <laughs> end. Like, there's just, there's no yeah. lifer, you know, role in, in staffer dumb. So... Um, but yeah, keep that in mind. There's just people that, like, so don't let that be your identity. That's really good advice. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for coming in. This was uh, awesome chatting with you. Yeah, and a lot love, of fun. To, love to have you again uh, at some point talking uh, more in depth stuff about experiences yeah. too. And I like, I know that the listeners can't can't see it, but I really appreciate with the Christmas theme, you uh, like these matching pajamas that you had us wear. They're just funny they're guy. fantastic. Funny guy. Oh, this is great. Yeah. <laughs> thanks well, for having me. Ha- have your 10th beer and let's go. <laughs> So Steve's journey really is something else, isn't it? Um, from a public servant, as he prefers to be called, to a political guru, uh, which I'll now call him. His story is a, a testament to the the diverse paths that lead into the heart of political life. And speaking of paths, Steve's uh, involved in something pretty interesting that ties directly into the world of political staffing. It's called RightRecruiter.ca, a platform that he created to connect Canadian conservative political leaders with like-minded staff from across the country. So for anyone out there thinking about a career in conservative politics, it's definitely worth checking out. Now, shifting gears from the world of conservative politics, we're going to take a look at things from a different perspective. Our next guest is Melissa Cotton, former head of the Liberal Research Bureau. Uh, Melissa's experience, especially as a liberal from Saskatchewan, offers a uh, unique insight into the dynamics of political staffing from the other side of the aisle. Her approach to, uh, to building strong workplace culture is something I'm particularly keen to explore. So let's welcome Melissa to On Background. On the staffer side of things, um, you you have a, a, a very strong reputation. I've heard a lot of people talk about you. I've never actually met you before. This <laughs> so, is a, this is a pleasure. <laughs> so thanks for sitting down and having this chat on background with me. Yeah. Um, but you have a very strong reputation of building a very solid work culture within the liberals when you were there. Um, what's that like? Like, I don't know liberal work culture. I don't know liberal uh, staffer culture, I should say. Um, obviously, we're, there's all these different tribes on the hill. And we do intermingle at times, mm-hmm. uh, but not a lot, right? Like you, c- you tend to stick to your your fellow staffer in a lot of ways. Um, so I'm very curious um, how you folks recruit, how you bring people in, and what staffers like, uh, what staffer life is like on the liberal side of things. So when you ask about liberal work culture, for me, I kind of go back to some of the tenets of our politics, right? So you're attracting a group of people that have. A common set of values as you would in any other political party. But I think because some of the policies that liberals have championed over the years, you tend to find, I, I think, a lot of open-minded folks, folks from a variety of different backgrounds. I mean, my I look at my, my own family. I grew up in Saskatchewan, and it's not that I grew up in a politically active family. But I would a say, liberal from Saskatchewan. I want to talk more about that too later. Yeah, that's I'm very own, curious. That's a whole other that. episode, Fred, as well. Um, <laughs> 
and I went to a university, obviously, then in Saskatchewan that was, you were either a very strong, either a very strong left or very strong right, and you were generally not in the middle. Right, not, not yeah, exactly. That's why the Liberal Party <laughs> doesn't seem very successful in that province, right? Because there's the two polarized Yeah, I think that... you've got kind of the polar opposites. But uh, for me, it was the tenets of, of what liberalism stood for. And I think that you find that with a lot of staff members that come to work in liberal offices, uh, because it's just part of that that culture and that fabric that makes up who we are. I became a young liberal at a time that the party was championing same-sex marriage. And uh, okay. I knew it wasn't something that was you know, important to me personally, but I, I knew people that would have that experience and would have to say, you know, I'm, I have to either hide who I love or, um, you know, that they wouldn't be the same experience as myself. And that was probably part of my, my draw to some of the politics. So when you ask about what liberal staffers are like and how we attract them, you're attracting people like any party does uh, that mm-hmm. have some of the same value system as you. Right. And you guys have uh, an internship program. We do um, have an internship program. And you bring a, how many does usually comes a, a year to the Hill? I guess I think, it changes to government versus opposition, right? Cause that's right. In, I would say in the government years, we were at about... 150 to 185 every year. Okay. Uh, and we pride ourselves on, these are not just partisan folks. It was, I look at the intern graduates, as it were, and who are often still in offices right now or have gone on to some really cool things in their lives. And they weren't necessarily people that started as partisan liberals. Some, But obviously. they became a t- uh, but part they of the journey? became in a lot of yeah. ways. And, and there were a few that... I've, I've looked, we've got a few that graduated and went on to work for NDP members and went, that's mm. more my political stripe. And that's okay because right. it was just getting them. That's back. fascinating. So it's not as partisan uh, at, at the internship level when you're Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I have a, a fairly solid understanding of what the conservative. Very uh, partisan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so and I ran the first uh, conservative party internship Wonderful. for the conservative party of Canada, right? Yeah. Like, obviously there was internships for the, the old PC party and the reform party and the alliance, but yeah. post-merger, I came in as the national youth organizer, so mm-hmm. I ran it, and very partisan then, and very partisan today. That's just that's our party culture, right? That's how exactly. we do it. Yeah, we don't have that as much. You obviously have MPs; um, they make the choice to hire these interns. Same with uh, ministers' offices, PMO, the research bureau. The party so has the, their own, but so they each have their own. They hire their own. Do they give? They're given like a list we, of. That's right. Potential? You apply okay. centrally. We right. provide a lot of central training. But you're gonna, of course, have MPs that say, "I want to bring in this person that's from my riding." Right. Um, right. And others don't. Others say, "Just find me something really great. These are some of the skills I'm looking for, and we would do our best to do that." Yeah, we would push back sometimes on that, right? <laughs> Unless to fit into the program and do the training, because the Conservative Party is a different coalition of. There's like there's. If you sat down, we could sit here for an hour and try to figure out all the different parts of the conservative yeah. party. And if you're bringing in people who don't fit any of those, then it's really, <laughs> it, it could be problematic. Uh, so that's why I think it, it works for us and why we have to do it that way. Absolutely. I think it's all about a program is only successful if you've done it in a way that's going to make kind of mesh with the culture that you already have set up. So. Right, right. So liberal staff life, uh, it's like any staffer on on our side, I know it's a grueling job, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot of burnout. How do you find the retention is? Is there a lot of uh, staff turnover? Is it, uh, or is it go government to government? You guys win, so you're here a lot to the end and then then there's changeover. Obviously we all know how it's going to end at some point. Everyone's going to get fired. I think time is is probably the the biggest factor, really, right? The longer you get into any government's mandate, any party's mandate, you start to see people shift around. Aging is another thing, right? You look at a lot of these staff started in their early 20s, and now 
you get eight, nine years into a mandate of any party, and they're yeah. starting to have different priorities in their lives. Um, but there's certainly lots of folks that are still have been there for a while and have continued to be that institutional memory. So I don't know that retention is as much of an issue um, just because it's our our party. I think it's just any party. I mean, even when I look at my experience at Queen's Park, the longer the Wynn government had been in power, you start to see people move yeah, on to different things and for sure. take that experience elsewhere, really. And the camaraderie, I imagine, stays with you, right? Like former Absolutely. liberal staffers, you're always uh, kind of looking out for each other, I imagine, yeah. right? That's how it is on our side. Now, obviously, uh, there's you have your friends and you have your enemies and, and internally, um, and I'll say that a lot, um, but, uh, you know, we're such a massive country and we're so spread out and you work in this intense climate Mm -hmm. uh, for short periods of time, knowing that we're all temporary in a, in a, in a way here. Um, you just build that, um, cause you're at, you know, I, the word war is too strong for politics here on the Hill, but it's like that, right? You're competing against another entity. You're you're, going through something together. Yeah. There's that sense of camaraderie. I think campaigns add an additional layer to these things. A hundred percent. Especially when you look at things like by-elections where it's kind of an off cycle, um, you're forced to sometimes live with these people, work with them 24 seven, you're together, but you have to look out for each other. Right? You, we have each other's backs, I always say, and forgiveness to those that are actually from Ottawa, but nobody's actually from Ottawa in politics. <laughs> I have met a couple of people, but and, and you always point it out when you do, right? When you meet yeah, someone, you're like, actually that's surprised. That's so wow. interesting that you're from Ottawa. I've never really, you don't come across that. But you know, you're not necessarily going home for family Thanksgiving. In my case, you know, I, I try to go home as right. often as I could, but you're creating that family for yourself. That's true. Right? That's a lot of, you're right. A lot of, you're almost like you're, it's like a, you're on campus here Yeah. and you're, uh, you're stuck here. And yeah. You're... I made the choice to marry somebody in politics. Okay. So this would probably be why our, our wedding was like this, but I look at our, our wedding party was a lot of people that we met in politics are, you know, we have mutual friends that stood up in our wedding uh, together and it was just, it's partially because you have those fundamental years where you're growing together as people and you're really, you get thrown into a lot of things in politics and you go through a lot. You grow, I think, very rapidly in yeah. your career path. Uh, but to get there, you have to you have to rely on each other. And I've been known to say that you get further by not stepping on people's backs, but by raising each other up together. 100%. You're right. So, yeah. you know, when you have that. But people can also be very successful too. Um, <laughs> but, you're, but it probably runs out, I guess, after a while. You can only go so far like that. It's a choice, right? Like I, I remember now in different positions that I'm done now, uh, I remember the people that were kind to others. Right. Um, and it's interesting. You find when they're looking for something from you, you remember how they treat That's right. People. And that's because it's like cyclical. We all go around, people are in and out of politics and it's the relationship building and the friendships. Absolutely. And you remember the, the good and you also remember the bad <laughs> and those calls may not be returned no, as quickly. that's right. So. If at all. Yeah, just make good choices, right? The way right. you treat people. <laughs> right. Don't be an ass. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good. It's a good mantra, really. What's the sense for staffing from the the PMO involvement? Do they have anything to do with um, helping all the ministerial staff? I assume they do all the hiring, or is it who hires people for the minister in the liberal world? It's the minister's prerogative who they hire. I is think. that real though? Like we all know that, but is that real? I think that PMO probably provides some input in terms of, particularly when you're starting at the chief of staff level, to say to the ministers, if you're new, 
especially if you're new to the cabinet table. This person has shown us to be, you know, good at managing people. They have been actively engaged in the, the policy work of the party uh, and, uh, and the government. And they are also somebody that is going to be able to guide you in your new role. So I think when it comes to new cabinet members, particularly, they might right. provide some input. Um, I think when you look at the overall chief of staff table, there's always on our side, there was always an intention to try and ensure that you had a bit of that, the same gender balance you had in terms of the cabinet makeup right. itself. But that, w- that we were looking at all the different types of diversity, whether it was regional diversity, you know, uh, Interesting. Cultural. Regional diversity is interesting for, for chiefs of staff. I've never mm-hmm. thought of that. From our side of things, uh, it, it was constant flux, it felt like. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and again, it was a different, we had, uh, I think when Harper was prime minister, four different chiefs of staff, right? So you have different right. cultures with each chief, which is normal. Yeah. Uh, and I think there was a, sometimes PMO would be heavily involved mm-hmm. in the hiring and other times a little looser, particularly if it's a veteran uh, minister that's been around a while and has that trust of PMO, I think they could probably hire and fire at a, at a different will. But also if there's a shuffle happening and some some cabinet ministers are being put into a certain role, uh, they're being put there for a reason and not necessarily a good reason and the, the chief will be determined and the staff by, the, by PMO. It's probably a fairly safe assessment too for the liberal side. I mean, you can't make the same... We can't make the same analogy, though, because we haven't had turnover in our chief of staff at, at PMO. Katie right. is the longest-serving chief That's of staff That's amazing. Prime I, just, it is. I, yeah. I don't know her um, just by reputation, but the, it's insane to me that someone could, <laughs> could, could be there that long and still seem to be going strong. Um, yeah. Again, the conservative side, go, if you go to the Maroney era and the Harper era, it's, I think two years is the average chief of staff mm. in those 18 years of, of governing. Uh, so for someone... Sh- to be in there for going into her ninth year. That's incredible. It is, yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, you asked about the longevity of of liberal staffers. I think that chief of staff table is actually a really great analogy of it too. You've got folks that have been there. uh, When I was first on the Hill, they were there in government before the liberals lost in 2006, stuck around through opposition, which is extremely important. For any party, the the, the muscle memory, right? the having that, like yeah. I know with us, every we seem to wipe ourselves out every few years. The conservatives yeah. do, and we have these. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, we keep having leadership races. I think that's done for a, a, quite a while now, fortunately. Mm-hmm. But we keep having these, and when you're doing that, you're doing a reset and reset and reset, and you're losing so much, yeah. uh, so much value. And you could argue we had that same kind of yes. turn as yeah. well for a while, right? Yeah. So. Um, but uh, And then you look and you've got new folks that probably started their political careers in 2015 when we, we won that have now rose through the ranks at the Chiefs table. So it's a nice mix. It adds a little bit, and that's how you ensure that you're continuing to, to have that succession planning too, right? Yeah. It's great to see too when you see people, they're in politics for a while, they're on the Hill, then they go have a career uh, they leave for a while on mm-hmm. their own free will, and then they come back. Absolutely. And then you see them, you see the same faces. We keep recycling each other. It feels like we're. Uh, I think it's important, though, to bring that it is. perspective. It is. It's funny. Well. Um, when we lost, in, so I was here at the uh, when Paul Martin was prime minister mm-hmm. and met a lot of liberal staffers then when they were in government. Yeah. And then we won and they disappeared. Hadn't seen these faces for a you know, for eight or nine years, we lost in 15. And I remember walking down Spark Street and seeing two guys coming towards me. And I was like, I know these faces from somewhere, but they're a little bit grayer than when I saw them last. <laughs> these were old Martin staffers Martin's, that were now yeah. Trudeau staffers yeah. that had uh, come back uh, to be a part of the new government at the time. So, and I think when the conservatives eventually win, hopefully it's this year, next year, whenever it is, yeah. uh, obviously I'm hoping for that, but um, 
are going to see a lot of old faces coming back, right? And that's the tough part of politics, though, is 500 of your closest friends means they lost their job. Yeah. I know that was really hard in 15, because uh, when I was walking down Spark Street that time, I was the only Tory I saw. <laughs> yeah. Like, right now, I'm sure if you walk down, you're going to see lots of your friends, but when there's a changeover, mm-hmm. they're gone, and it's a hard time. It's a dark time. Yeah. I've always sort of given the advice to folks of, just remember these are other these are humans too eventually mm-hmm. our time will come it's just cyclical that's the way part politics we all works. know how it's going to end right Absolutely. we just don't know at when at some point it will yeah. um, so just remember these are other humans and be kind to them but it's good advice in general right because you even talk about people that are looking at making the move now or a year ago again it's back to that how did you treat people along the way it does not matter the political stripe uh, because you never know when you're going to need to have that conversation with them. But uh, it's, it is tough. You have to remember in general, like not to be too uh, excited, not to gloat too much when your party wins because it, your time will come at yep. some point, unfortunately. Yeah. No, I remember that well in 11 when we got the majority government and the, and the liberals got knocked down to 35. Yeah. Um, we had our convention right after here in Ottawa. And my wife and I were walking, um, uh, we left the convention, we're walking to the market, and I bumped into an old friend of mine who was a longtime liberal. And I remember, and he was congratulating me, and I was like, you know, it's, it's we're only temporary. Like, this is great, but you yeah. guys will be back. And I didn't think it would be four years later they'd be back, but um, <laughs> they were back. Yeah. Well, and you have to remember that people go into politics a lot of times for similar reasons, no matter what the party, right? It's for a service to your country, it's for a service to your community, or it's because you're you're very passionate about a policy and, and the work that a government does. And so ultimately, it doesn't matter what stripe your, your party is. Yeah. We're all here for similar reasons. Yes. Uh, and that's what unites people. So mm-hmm. like again, you're just they're just another person trying to do really good things for their community. And I think that's, that's something, and I think staffers are unsung heroes and also campaign volunteers. I Absolutely. feel like we, we shun them as not real volunteers, right? Like if you give mm-hmm. out uh, volunteer awards or something, yeah. or if you list people's uh, resumes and all the stuff they volunteer, you'd never mentioned the political side of it, which I think is unfortunate. Yeah. These are people who are committing time uh, for their country. Mm-hmm. And it takes at least two. We need two parties, right? You can't, yeah. you, you know, we may not be uh, aligned. We may not be, uh, we may not agree on things, but it takes two. Yeah. Um, and I think that's something that people should, uh, should uh, reflect differently on. And I think we should treat volunteers um, and pay uh, more honor to them and staffers as well for the service they do. I agree. So what advice would you give to people still in the game, uh, still working on the Hill to uh, make sure you're, they're growing a strong culture and bringing in the right people? And, and, and what's your secret sauce for, for having such a success uh, when you were there? I think it's remember what brought you here in the first place, right? As we said, I'm a liberal from Saskatchewan. That never happens. So that was a very conscious life choice of mine. But it's, it was really about service to others and service to my community and building a better better future, which is super trite and all those lovely things that everybody likes to think that they're in politics for. But at the very basic core, it was just that service to community, which is something my parents worked really hard to instill in me. So I remembered that when I would have those days that were a little bit tougher, I'd sort of take a step back and say, this was obviously not an easy path to get here in the first place. Uh, I, like many staffers, certainly didn't expect to be doing this for as long as I did. Uh, but obviously it was important to me and that's why I kept doing the work until I, you know, I left about two years ago. 
But I would say to people that are still in it, uh, again, remember what brought you here. Take a step back, though, because go back to where you're from. When I go home to Saskatchewan, the issues are not the same. People don't see it with the same lens. Right. Um, probably in different ways now than, you know, maybe when I first got into politics for so many different reasons. <laughs> uh, but that's okay, too, because that's a good that's a good gut check on yourself. You yeah. need to check in with yourself often, frankly, and check in with the people that have known you since the beginning and say, like, what do you notice about me that's that's different since I started doing this work? And you hope that the response you get back is often positive. Like, I'm seeing you really grow as a person. I'm seeing you learn and expand your horizons. But if this response you get back from them is, you're a dark person, you're cynical, you're, you know, <laughs> these are things that are not. I may have been a victim of that myself a few yeah, times. Yeah, and, and we all are. Right. It, but it's to just check in with those people that have known you from the very beginning. Um, That's interesting. And even to just to have that moment with yourself. Like I always said, I always said to myself, but sort of out loud as well. Like when I get to a point that I, you know, I, I can't be positive about this anymore, um, then I don't want to be here. And I didn't leave when I was feeling cynical about anything. I felt very happy about what I had accomplished and where things were at. But I think you can often have that moment where you go, I think it's time for somebody else to to take this on. And I can't be the only one that uh, that's got this skill set and that has that experience. I need to pass that on to somebody else while we still have that runway to do that. Right. That's a good point. Knowing when to get out. Right. That's yeah. uh, before before you burn out, before you yeah. get too cynical or, or whatever. Um that's a really good point that I think a lot of staffers should uh, should reflect on and think of. Yeah. Um, picking that time. I was, uh, um, I got out twice and it was because of losses, right? You, right. Yeah. <laughs> so I never, I got, I never got to that to, to make that decision on my own. I never owned it. But I think that's a good point too because you're going to have a lot of staff that are in that position at any given time when a party loses or even when your cabinet minister gets shuffled or your MP, mm-hmm. you know, we've got, you're getting to a point where MPs are going to start to say, thank you very much. I've had a really illustrious career and I'm going to, I'm going to step back. And that's a choice that they made for themselves. But there's also those staff, right. That come, that come along with that. So at any juncture that there's a change, no matter the reason, I think it's to take that step back. What about, what do I want to be doing? You know, if it's a cabinet shovel, do I want to go back into another office or is this a good place to leave? Right. Should I make my mark? Um, and am I a better person? Have I left the place a better place or or not? And if the answer is no, then you probably should have a hard look at, at yourself and what you're doing and, and move on. So on that front, on cabinet shuffles, you made mm-hmm. me think of something. One of my uh, most difficult experiences as a staffer was during a cabinet shuffle. I went into a ministry early in our government and I was there for a few weeks and we got shuffled. Mm-hmm. I was only there for a few weeks. So I was the least, uh, se- um, least seniority on the yeah. team. And we went into a ministry that was much smaller than our ministry. So it tightened up. And for days, I had, no I think three or four days, I was told to show up to the office every day. No idea if I had a job. Our chief of staff was also being removed. And it was chaos. And no one knew, for days, no one was really doing anything because we didn't know what our jobs were. And I've heard and I'm seeing in other provinces, really, out around the country when there's a shuffle, at the top, they move the ministers around. And the... Basically, they, they don't move the staff around at first. They let them sit there for weeks or a month. And then they do. I just find like you're, my view is when teams 
and governments do a cabinet shuffle, start building your teams that day. Mm -hmm. Like make the chiefs, figure out your chiefs as well as your ministers and tell them, build your team, here's your budget, go. We waste so much time and so much anxiety build up in staff when we, we don't pull the trigger on that and we just say, oh, we'll figure it out later as if we're thinking just the minister themselves. What's the point of political staff then if you're not putting them there to support the minister? They need to be there on day one learning the, the new department with the minister. Absolutely. So I'm curious if you have any experience on that uh, on the liberal side or if you've heard stories about that. Yes and yes, uh, all of the above. I have some of the experience. I would say federally, not so much because I, I came at it from um, – the research bureau side, although certainly I had the privilege of having some input and conversations uh, leading up to and after the 21 campaign and in terms of what could we be doing differently as somebody that had sort of that HR background uh, and a bit more of a neutral party, to be honest, because I wasn't, I knew I wasn't going to be a minister's chief of staff. I was very happy doing what I was doing. I uh, put up my hand and said I'm happy to help with some of the transition piece. So couldn't agree with you more that I think that there's huge merit in having uh, at least the chief of staff know exactly who they're going to be when that minister goes to get sworn in and a really solid idea of um, who that team's going to be so that they can all get briefed up at the same time too. That's also helpful in terms of staff's anxiety uh, because often even now I still get staff that reach out to me for advice and I say listen you're still going to have the same amount of cabinet ministers everybody's there's enough jobs for everybody don't worry about it you're yeah. not gonna in most cases you're not going to be completely out it's not a bad juncture though to choose to to walk if this is the time for you that's right and that's okay and people do that which means again there's those jobs um the only drawback I see to those types of things is that um if you're a staffer that's maybe been there a lot less time, somebody doesn't necessarily know that you exist, who's your advocate? How do we make sure right. that we don't drop those those folks through the cracks? Uh, and that's kind of the only drawback I've ever seen or thought of on those types of strategies of cabinet minister and here's your ready, set team to go. Yeah, It's also hard, right? How do you tell somebody, I want you to become the, you know, the... Director of Communications, the Minister of Housing. When we can't tell you who the Minister of Housing is going to be, right, right. How that's do you a often bit tricky, right? That's, like, yeah, but at least if you start on day one, though, or at least completely. like start instead of uh, wait a month or wait a yeah. few weeks, hold tight, that sort yeah. of thing. Like, no, let's go. So if if O'Toole had won the last uh, election, mm -hmm. I was um, as his campaign manager was going to advocate like hire an HR person in PMO that oversees all ministerial staffer Agreed. that can get these process flowing and take care of people. And maybe that's, I don't know what Polyab's plans are, um, but maybe that's what they're going to do. I hope that's what they're going to do. I think an HR team generally, and that team can be loose, but uh, an HR team generally is helpful. But, and an HR person, right? Like yeah. where we, in all my experiences in politics at every level, we ask a political person to become an HR person with, mm, and it's good. It's it's good to have that political context, like have them involved. Perhaps like they have to know: is this person a good fit? Is this person yeah. um, for whatever political reasons? But an actual HR professional that can that could do these things and, and know the process that they can establish. Absolutely, and there are those folks that exist, right? That didn't do the political science route. They actually are HR majors, but it's probably an interesting point to look into in terms of building up that transition team and those teams in general is why aren't we going after people that have that educational background and right. and getting them more engaged in the political but process. But it's tough in politics too though because you always you try to bring in people who, who you trust and who you know. Absolutely right? you do. So it is I can see the other side of it yeah. why you don't do that so it's this 
And it's the same reason that the ready-made team makes it trickier, right? Because you've got you've got folks that are in a minister's office because they're policy experts in that that kind of file. But then you've also got the people that were loyal or have always been with that minister. Yeah. People right. that are really good knocking on doors, helping Absolutely. people get elected. Yeah. Uh, those people uh, and end up becoming great uh, policy experts yeah. and, and different like. But I, I mean, and I, I have, I have candidates that I helped get elected that said to me right from the get go, and when I make it to cabinet, which good for you, that's good chutzpah. But when I make it to cabinet, you can be my chief of staff, uh, and flattered, thank you. Except for I'm not say a lawyer if you became the minister of justice i can't be your chief of staff right. you know i'm not i'm not skilled to do that uh so it's a little bit tricky too in that these folks often have their preferred person well if you don't get the cabinet uh, portfolio that's appropriate for that then we're also setting people up for a disaster right, right. so yeah that's a good point all right. Well, look, thanks uh, so much for coming in. This was an awesome chat. Great to meet you. Your reputation is uh, is very strong on the Stafford world, as I mentioned before. So it was great to sit down. And, and again, as a conservative uh, and with the purpose of this show, uh, I'm trying to tell stories about uh, politics in Canada, peel back the political onion, I keep saying, um, and, and just have these conversations and across all aisles. So thanks a lot for coming in. Well, thanks for having me. I think it's an important topic. And uh I hope that a lot of folks take heed of it as we go into the holiday season and they're kind of doing some reflection. It's it's a great juncture to do that. So thank you. So I've got to say, uh, chatting with Melissa has been an eye-opener in more ways than one. It's it's fascinating to learn how liberals, especially ones like Melissa from Saskatchewan, approach the rules when they arrive on the Hill. And I'll admit, I had this preconceived notion that there'd be these hardcore partisan liberals, but that's not always the case. It's a bit of a, a revelation, honestly, and I never knew that. Uh, but it's interesting to compare that with my own experiences in the conservative party. Uh, we tend to have a, uh, uh, let's call it a, a purity test. You know, you, you need to fit into one of the specific boxes to make that make up our conservative coalition. Uh, but as we heard from Steve Outhouse earlier, that's not always set in stone. Um, these conversations are a lot of fun. They help break down barriers and challenge our assumptions of each other. And I really hope you subscribe and tell your friends about this podcast so we can keep telling these stories. Uh, I find it fascinating to, to keep learning about how everything works, which I hope this show helps do. You know, On Background isn't just about me trying to educate people on how politics really works, but also me learning myself how these things work. Uh, there's so much we don't know, and I'm learning a lot, and I hope you are as well. So while we talk to Steve Outhouse and Melissa Cotton from the perspective of the conservative and liberal side of things about their experiences on the Hill, um, here's something a lot of people may not be aware of. The NDP, true to form, actually have a staffer union. So now let's go on background with a friend of mine from the NDP. Melanie Richet is the former director of communications for the for her party and is now with Earnscliffe Strategies. And on most Friday nights, you can find her as part of CBC's Political Pulse panel, where she co-stars with yours truly, as well with uh, Greg McCochran and host David Cochran. So look, I'm very curious about the, the NDP and how they function. Um, one of my first years on the Hill, uh, there was an NDP member of parliament uh, Beb Desjarlais, who voted against same-sex marriage. Now, I'm really dating myself when you uh, say the NDP uh, MP opposing same-sex marriage. And she was immediately thrown out of caucus. And uh, her office was on the same floor that I was working on. And I remember talking to uh, two of her staffers, um, and I've, I felt terrible for them. They And they, they were obviously sad that their boss was no longer 
uh, in caucus. And I was asking, what are they going to do? And they told me, well, they're in a union, so they're fine. They're going to go get placed somewhere else. And I was blown away by that, uh, having, you know, I was new to politics then, but I had no idea that there was a union on the Hill and the NDP actually have that. So Mel, I'm very curious if you can help me understand how that works. What is this union for staffers and, uh, and how do you get into it and how do you get, uh, how do you move through that? Right, for sure. So um, yes, you're right. So staff on the Hill and actually staff in the NDP um, party office also are unionized and they're unionized by um, different unions. So oh, like, yeah, so like um, any union works, um, you, you know, you, as you get hired, um, you go through probation and then eventually you're on the, uh, you're part of the union. So you pay membership dues and you get benefits of, of being part of a union. And what that um, does is it you know ensures that wages are at a at a fair level that um, you're getting good benefits uh, the same benefits really that you get for joining a union in any other workplace um, you get them from joining the union or becoming a staffer on the hill um, the only thing that is different obviously is that you know it's a political um, environment so it does right. make things. Um, not always easy because of, like you just mentioned, what happens when an MP um, is removed from caucus or what happens at election time when um, not all MPs return. If you're coming back with, you know, uh, you're losing half of your caucus, then what happens? So there's still some challenges and it's not easy, but, um, you know, the NDP does believe in unions. They're a labor party. Um, so this was important. Right. Is, that, to... is that the core of your identity, really? Um... Exactly. Exactly. So, so it makes sense. Do you have it on that on that front? I'm curious, though. So let's say I'm elected as an NDP MP mm -hmm. uh, and I have uh, this amazing person in the riding that I want to bring up to Ottawa and right. have uh, work on my staff. Right. Can I do that or does this or do I have to hire from a list provided to me by the union? Again, well, so, and, I, and I'm coming from an angle here where I've never dealt with unions. So totally, <laughs> totally. So, so it's a little bit of both, right? Um, when a new MP comes in, they would obviously put out um, uh, a position to hire for. So they would put out, you know, they're looking for, um, I don't know, a legislative assistant, for example. Um, and then based on who is on the recall list, folks who are working at other MPs offices or working in the leader's office or who have been let go or who have um, uh, lost their job because their MP didn't win or retired or whatever could apply for this position. Now, it doesn't mean that people externally wouldn't be able to apply for it. So, you know, for example, you've got this really great new Democrat in the riding that is the expert on all things fisheries, for example. Um, and um, that's kind of what you were looking for to fill this position. It doesn't mean that you wouldn't be able to hire them. It just means that um, there's a fair shot for folks who are already um, on the recall list, part of the union who want to, who want a chance at that job. So the M MPs can still hire who they want. They're just encouraged to look at the list. Yeah. Look at the list, make sure that the person that, um, is applying for the role actually has the skills needed for the role. As you know, when you know when MPs are first elected, they don't necessarily know what is needed on the Hill, right? So the HR team is part of that and, and really union will make it sure that folks understand that this is what is needed for this kind of job. So if you're looking for, I don't know if the person on the Hill or sorry, the person in your writing is really, really good with, um, 
communicating with people in the riding and you're looking for a ledge assistant. Well, at that point, you're not going to want to hire the person on the Hill for your ledge assistant job, right? But you have these great candidates who were part of the union who, for whatever reason, are no longer working in another MP's office, or they are still working in an MP's office and they're looking for a change. Um, they would be able to apply and you would be able to interview them. And then um, as part of that process, you would figure out, you know, who's right for that job, that specific job. Okay. Now I'm, I'm really interested in knowing hours and wages in this yeah. because, uh, you know, there's times <clears throat> when I worked in PMO where I went an entire night without sleeping. I was up all night. I'm sure yeah. I worked more than the, the 40 hours mandated that week, um, working on different projects. Uh, is there an hourly maximum that staff can, can work on the Hill for the NDP? It's, it's definitely tricky in that political context, right? In the, Hours are not normal. The work is not necessarily normal. So how do you um, kind of regulate that or how do you reg like make that regular with other employees? Um, they use like systems like how many, how much overtime you've done? Are you able to take it in lieu um, just to make sure that it balances, it balances out a little out bit? After, right. Yeah. So, so for example, folks who are working on the Hill um, in Ottawa, they may be working a lot during the year, but in the summer, actually, they're not really needed all that much. So maybe that's where they take some of the time that they've worked overtime. Um, so there is kind of a checks and balances to make sure um, workers aren't doing too much or people in, in MPs offices aren't doing too much. Uh, but at the same time, what I would at least what I felt when I was on the Hill was um, and, you know, I was both at the staff level and at the management level. And what I found at both of those levels was that there is a understanding of we're doing this because we believe in what we're doing. So yeah. there may be some times where, yeah, this goes outside of the collective bargaining agreement a little bit, but we understand that this is needed for whatever issue of the day is happening. Right. It's interesting because like in my experience too, like the, the example I used where, you know, we were pulled an all nighter. Uh, and you work those super long hours. Uh, mm -hmm. But I've also been very fortunate. I have really good bosses that would just give us days off, right? Like totally. uh, one time at PMO, my director would assign us different days uh, as a team right. would split it up. Uh, right. So we'd get that time back uh, right. in that way in some regards. Totally. So this just formalizes the process. Now, I would like to think that all MPs are good bosses, but it just gives a little bit of protection like you do have when you're you you know you're part of a, a different kind of union, that that is written down somewhere instead of just uh, right. maybe unofficial agreement between a good boss and, and staff. Now, you, you, you mentioned something I'd like to pick up on too. You mentioned mm -hmm. management and staff. Mm -hmm. um, the way we, from my view of the world, is we're all staff. There is yep. no management, like there's higher right. ups. There's, you know, yep. the chief of staff, at the end of the day, the title right in there uh, that she has is staff. She's chief totally. of staff. Mm -hmm. um, how does that, is that separate in the NDP with the union and management and staff? Like what, what the difference is and how that works? Yeah. So um, management is not part of the union. So that's why there's that, like that separate um, kind of classification, right? So if you have <clears throat> a team working for you, um, you are not part of the union and you would be considered management. Um, or if you are in a position that you would be privy to information about other um, union members, you are also not necessarily part of the union. So I'm thinking like, for example, the um, press secretary to the leader, probably not in the union because those duties are just, they're probably a little bit closer to management than they are to what like your, your traditional press secretary role would be. Um, 
So there is differences there. And uh, those folks are not part of the union. And they're also like you would in a, in a union, I guess, um, you would have management and you would have staff. So it works kind of in the same way, except for to your point, um, we're all kind of staff. We're all working towards the same thing. We're all sharing the work of what needs to be done in the lead up to the next election, whether that's in the leader's office or that's in an MP's office. Um, so it does, it's, I want to go back to the point of it's not always easy, but there is, again, because the values that people have when they're part of the NDP is they, they do value labor. They do value the, um, uh, opportunity to join a union or the, the need really to join a union. So there is kind of that, um, goodwill, both with folks, you know, quote unquote management and with staff to, to get the work done together. Right. And it would, again, certainly be off brand if you didn't have a union. Being <laughs> I think it would too. <laughs> so, uh, another thing I'm curious about is the work culture of the NDP on the Hill and what mm-hmm. I see on the provinces as well. I find it interesting. Um, conservatives and liberals both tend to stick to the provinces they know. Uh, but I find in the NDP, when it comes to working around the country, you guys seem to go as a, it was once described to me as a hive, wherever you take <laughs> government in some province, you move into that province like a hive. Um, right. that, now, you, you know, you're obviously, you have two governments right now, BC and Manitoba. Yep. Uh, so maybe you're getting a little thinner. Um, <laughs> can you just touch on that and how that works? For sure. Um, I think maybe one of the differences is we're very entrenched, um, you know, with our, um, the way that our party works is you need to be a member of a provincial party to be a member of the federal party. Um, so the way that the party works constitutionally, um, you have to be a member of a province to be a member of the federal party, except for Quebec. And then you're just a member of the federal party, but the way that, kind of the backbone of how the constitution was written is there is just collaboration between provinces and the federal party, um, which is a bit different than the other parties. Yeah, very much so on the conservative side. Um, you know, there's, there's probably 13 or 14 different shades of blue in this country <laughs> right. when it comes to conservatism and then the provinces and how we fit in. And there's no rule. I think in right. our, I think in the federal party, there's a rule that we are supposed to support provincial parties that are conservative, okay. small C conservative okay. doesn't mean right. they're named conservative. Right. Um, and they're all right. separate. Well, that totally, that would also be kind of different, right? Do you, who do you support, for example, in British Columbia, who right. is the um, two, two right of center parties there that we right. can pick from? Right. Whereas, again, outside of Quebec, there is an NDP, and that's the NDP that would be tied to the federal party. And in fact, if you wanted to be a member of the federal party in those provinces, you would need to get a membership from the Alberta NDP, Saskatchewan NDP, et cetera. It's fascinating the cultural differences between parties and not just the staff and the campaigns and how it all works. So it's interesting to see how it all plays out. It also, what I would say is fewer, because of our history, like there's fewer new Democrats than there probably is conservatives and liberals, right? So um, there is folks who get called to like a few different elections. We see it as a, as a training opportunity. We also see it as a, um, as an opportunity to just share good ideas kind of thing, right? So during elections, we will have staff kind of take a leave and go work elections, either because, you know, there's a chance to win there and, you want to build that team there or just to learn. Maybe there isn't a chance to win, but this is a really great learning opportunity and it'll be useful for the next election in Ontario or the next federal election. Um, I also think maybe something that's a little bit different is 
outside of like maybe one or two issues, a new Democrat in Nova Scotia is the same kind of new Democrat in Ottawa. I think the the um, regionally, there's maybe if it's a bit different for conservatives and liberals, like depending on where you Very are so. in, yeah. right? So, so I think that also makes it a little bit easier. We all, for the most part, again, outside of maybe like energy issues, we all believe the same thing. So it makes it a little bit easier to that come and go between um, provinces. Mel, thanks so much for uh, for taking the time. It is uh, greatly appreciated and I uh, hope you enjoy the, the holidays. Well, thanks for thinking of having me on and sorry I couldn't be there in person. Okay, so that was Melanie Richet from the NDP uh, walking us through the unions and how that works, something that is very foreign to me, um, particularly on the Hill. So it was interesting to get that perspective. Okay, so next up, we've got Matthew Conway. He's not just the national vice president of the Conservative Party. He's a seasoned former staffer uh, working in both here in Ottawa and in Queen's Park. His story and his struggles with mental health and him reaching out to me actually sparked the idea for this episode. So let's get to it. We're going to dive in here with him and his experiences. Thanks so much for for sitting down. Um, You and I have worked together for a, a long time in politics. Uh, both uh, on the hill and in campaigns, and then uh, kind of off the hill, you're the you know the vice president of the Conservative Party of Canada, uh, national councillor for Quebec, and you're yeah, also that's working... your fault. <laughs> well, thanks for agreeing to uh, to to serve and to to help the party along. And you're also in government relations now as well, right? That's correct, and communications, or and even some translation. Uh, political translation, which is actually in itself uh, um, different than regular translation in my estimation, but uh, whatever people need. Now, how many years were you on the Hill in Ottawa? So I came here in 2010 and I initially left the, at one point uh, in 2014 and then came back at the end of 2015, a couple of leaderships and then uh, left uh, quote unquote for good in uh, 2000, August 2018. I love how you uh, you say for good and you emphasize it, knowing that us staffers, uh, I don't think there's ever really a for good. Uh, we always get sucked back in somehow. There's this... Uh, well, my whole life has been that. <laughs> so it's been, you know, you know, the people say, where do you see yourself in five years? Well, uh, I never get it right. Um, right. Things no happen. Um, no, I, I just think also the fact, the problem is, is that, uh, you know, uh, my, the first four years of uh, my daughter's life, I was a political staffer. Um, it's not very conducive uh, to, to family life. Um, so to be fair to her, I say, I say that, uh, you know, as they say, never say never. Uh, but, um, you know, it's, you know, like I want to be fair to her as well, uh, given that when I'm, when when I'm a, a political staffer, I'm essentially consumed by it 24 hours a day. So um, it's just the way I, I'm wired. It's a it's certainly a grueling uh, a grueling job. I've I always took it, it to me. It was a service, right, to come here and to be a part of it. And it's also such an amazing thing to be a staffer where you get to be in the halls of power, right? Uh, even if you're not the decision maker at the time uh, when you're first starting out, you can work your way up to that and to be a very influential person, like many have. Um, but it is the, it's just a, an immense honor and, and the, the camaraderie of it, right? Like we're on a team together, blue team, red team, orange team, light blue team, green team. You have all these teams that have this, uh, this camaraderie that I think goes a long way. Uh, when you left, you also went to Queens Park. Right. Um, but between that, you, um, 
you uh, you had some issues and you've written about this, and that's really why I'm uh, grateful for you to come and uh, talk about this. You had written um, a, a public post on this that I think went quite viral on mental health challenges right. uh, as a staffer, and I'd love to uh, have that chat with you here. Well, 2018 was not a banner year for me um, in the beginning. Uh, essentially, my personal life was exploding uh, and my professional life was exploding. Uh, and you're in a situ- I was in a situation too, uh, you know, the pay on, on the Hill, especially in opposition is not exactly, uh, uh, large. Um, you know, you, they have to, they have a certain budget and you have to stretch it out to, to, you know, to, to staff an OLO. Um, and you know, if it wasn't for my parents, I probably would have missed a, a few mortgage payments. So, um, right. so, uh, it, and then I was, you know, spending $500, uh, to rent a room in the Ottawa area on the hall side. Um, and so, you know, your, your money is kind of tied up and trying to live and at the same time pay your bills and provide for your daughter and your family. One thing I want to touch on is when you when you put out the post, you made reference to using House of Commons uh, resources as well right. for, for mental health support. What was that like? I didn't even know that existed and I don't know, I haven't worked for the House of Commons directly myself for right. quite some time. I worked in ministries and then the party uh, twice, two runs at the party. So I'm, I'm, what is that process like? So it's part of uh, the employee, it's, it's called the EAP, Employee Assistance Program. It's part of the insurance okay. uh, that you, that you get, uh, the benefits that you get. And um there were days where I literally could not get out of bed. Um, and, uh, you know, I know the word literally gets used too much, but you know, this was a a situation where I, I was, I was frozen almost, um, you know, basically for lack of better term, making up ailments, you know, not to tell people the real ailment, but, um, yeah, you're, you're paralyzed. So I figured, you know, I had to do something. And, you know, uh, when you're a staffer that goes back home on weekends, uh, you don't actually have time to go to a therapist's office to, um, to, to have a meeting, quote unquote. Right. Cause you were living in Montreal, but yep. you're in Ottawa for work during the week and then going back home. Yeah, exactly. So which, you had that extra stress on you. Exactly. Too. So, and yeah, no, it was just a situation. So, I mean, I, I, there was an online form in the, on the portal and filled it out and, you know, got a, you know, got message back and basically had phone sessions with, uh, with a licensed therapist. Um, and you know, it, it, they, I think it was, it was a phone session. That's yeah, it was a phone session never... and I think it was five or six, uh, sessions. Um, Do you think it would have been more helpful if it was in person? Oh, for sure. I, I shouldn't say, was it helpful to begin with? Do you find it? Was yeah. Good? Well, I mean, it's, it's somebody to talk to, to work things right. out when, you know, you don't really have, see, my problem is, is, you know, I've, I've suffered from depression and anxiety for, you know, so diagnosed in 1998, but I'm sure it was way before that too. Uh, back then people didn't really talk about it. Um, even then, right. That was, yeah. And, and you didn't know resources, right. Inter- internet was still in its infancy. Right. So, um, so yeah, nobody actually knew what it was, but you know, when I go into these dark periods, um, I have a tendency to go into a cocoon and I do not re- like, there are a number of good friends inside politics and outside politics who have said, I wish you had reached out and yeah, so do I actually, but, uh, I, I shut down and I kind of, I, I went off the grid almost, uh, and, uh, people just thought I was busy with work and, uh, and, and my daughter. So. 
So it's not, it's, I wasn't helpful to myself, let's put it that way. So, so the House of Commons support, right. um, where, like, just back to that, was how helpful do you think, was it obviously someone to talk to, was right. it, how long did it last? How long were you able well, to like, use it? Well, uh, like five or six sessions, which was the maximum that was available. Um, and then uh, the insurance cuts out? Is yep. That, oh, yeah, so no longer, no longer available. So, I mean, at least there was that, uh, but it could have there been more? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think when people are in crisis, uh, I don't think uh, five phone sessions is enough. Uh, but you know, the insurance industry being what it is, uh, they like to ca- uh, to cap uh, things to have cost certainty, right? And uh, affects the, the the cost of premiums. And uh, at the same time, it's on the House of Commons to negotiate that. Um, right, right. Uh, and uh, and this is not a conservative party thing. This I'm sure happens across party. Of course. Right? Yeah. Uh, you know, and you know we as. You know, honestly, we live in a world since the pandemic where people are getting more and more aggressive. I think of the constituency staffers who, in some cases, are alone in their constituency office. That's a great point. They're dealing with, you know, the people that are not happy with the answers they're getting. And, you know, I always joke that, you know, um, a, a regular calendar and a government calendar are not the same thing. Uh, so people, um, a lot of times, will get frustrated by wait times. That that's I I worked for an MP for a, a number of years when I first got to the Hill, and yeah, the issues like we had some tough issues to deal with. I worked for a member of Parliament, actually a Conservative, who supported same gender marriage, right? Uh, which was a hot hot topic back then. And as a Conservative, it wasn't a very popular stance to take. No. And I remember the abuse our riding staff would take right. on that issue, and it was uh, it was immense. And looking back on that now. Uh, like and, and thinking about today's issues, like people are really fired up on you know the far right, the far left, right. They're both really fired up. So I imagine there's a lot of abuse <laughs> happening, sadly, at the riding level that we're not even seeing. Like I didn't like I'm a I'm kind of stuck in the Ottawa bubble a lot, right? Um, so I don't see a lot of that myself. But I bet you there's a lot of uh, a, a lot of stress on the riding staff. There are people, and you mentioned it, I believe, on the first episode, you know, where uh, chiefs of staff, when they're hired, are, um, you know, they're, hired, they're essentially the first advisor to a minister. They are not there. They, they do not have, in most cases, uh, human resources training. Right. Or, they, none or, of them do. None no. of them do. And, and, you know, or how to deal with people, because, you know, you, you have a, an office full of people. You're not, and not everybody's the same. It's like a hockey team, right? Some you have to, you know, kick in the behind and some you have to coddle, right? Um so there's a situation where some have a heart and are human and, you know, some, you know, basically the human relations is not their forte. So I find, you know, for you to have the, you know, to be brave to go out and, and mention your, your issues that you've been dealing with, there's so much pressure on staff. There's so much, because uh, there's so much competition internally, right? Right. And you want to look strong. You want to look like you've got a handle of this because there's no employment rights or labor standards, right, for staff. Right. They they can, they, Parliament wrote the, the, the laws uh, and the rules uh, and, and basically we're called political exempt staff. We're exempt of, they can hire us and they can fire us. You serve at the and pleasure. That's right. Um, which is, uh, which is a lot of pressure and to have the, um, you know, that extra layer of, uh, of, uh, or, or lack of layer of protection, you know, you, you've got to be in many ways, many people at least think you've got to be strong. You can't look like you are, um, you're dealing with issues or anything that could affect your performance. Cause all of these politicians, they're all worried about their next election and, and 
getting things done for the constituency and they feel like if they're failing in some way, um, how's that going to reflect on them? Right. Well, the stigma still exists. Uh, there are still, there are a lot of, there's more people that are getting quote unquote enlightened or have read about it or more aware of it, but the stigma still exists because, okay, we need somebody who's able to with, you know, withstand the pressure. And uh, it's a high pressure situation, yeah. right? Working uh, in politics. Yeah, no, exactly. And it's funny because you, sometimes you get the, the question in interviews, you know, how would you react, uh, you know, if uh, your minister or your member or whatever, or your boss uh, puts pressure on you. And my answer always was no one can put as much pressure on me than I put on myself. Right. Um, right. And, uh, and essentially it's like, and, and that's a, that's a truism, but you know, different people handle stress a different way. And, you know, we're in a situation too, where, uh, you know, where some people, like I said, some people are great at human relations. Some people are more good at, uh, how should I put it, uh, po policy wonks, but, you know, not necessarily uh, people people, right? So, right. Um, so so it's like you're you're dealing with different uh, different backgrounds or whatever. And, and we're also in a 24-hour uh, news cycle where, you know, unlike back and talk, talking to former staffers in the Mulroney government where they had a few set deadlines because of uh, newspapers or, uh, or TV, uh, TV news networks, uh, um, nightly shows uh you know so and then after that they didn't have to worry but now you're you're the, if you're in comms you're worrying and even in policy because the comms comes to you uh you're you're dealing with uh you know a media that have to update their website they have to do their social media and then they file by a certain time and then they update the story so it's you can be on back in the day blackberries but now iphones you can be on your phone literally from you know, 6.30 in the morning to midnight. Uh, and in some cases, even more depending on, <laughs> on who you work for. Yeah, it's seven days a week. Yeah, it's seven days a week. Yeah, and you're, it, it's funny, the habits, not the habits of checking your phone, right? Like when right. I'm having supper with my kids and I'm, I'm getting better at it, I've been out of politics for a few years now, uh, I'm getting better at it, but I still, I, it's, a, it's just a, a, it's muscle memory checking my phone when I really don't need to know what the score of the Knicks game is at, at this stage. My, my daughter sometimes reminds me of it. Uh, you know, why are you on your phone? And I don't actually have an answer, but uh, it, like you said, it's, it's muscle memory and you're, you know, it's like almost a need, a need for information. Uh, it's like when you're not sure, you don't know exactly what's going on. It's like when somebody's on a plane and they don't have Wi-Fi and they get off, it's the first thing they do is they turn it on and they start checking their news. Um, and, and it's just, it's a drug almost. So interestingly, um, you know, the way politics works is staffers and politicians are all treated like, uh, racehorses right. where if you break a leg, they put a bullet in you, right? They get rid of you. Yeah. It's a different mentality than the rest of the, the, the outside world, if we call it that. Um, and, and there's the sign of weakness, right? So it's like for you to have the bravery to go and talk about your mental health, I think is very commendable where um, there's like, I would, you know, I, I know I would be, and I think a lot of other people would be nervous to, to do this where if you can't perform, if you can't do your job, if there's that, that fear of it knowing you need people that you can count on. Um, and I know, um, our leaders, uh, are, are depending on that, right. uh, in the party. Uh, but at the same time, we are all human. We all have struggles and we all have ups and downs. Right. So it's actually, I think a sign of strength that you're willing to come out and talk about this stuff. Well, like I've said uh, many times, if this helps one person, it's worth it. 
Well, look, thanks so much, Matt, uh, for coming in and having this chat. I think it was very uh, interesting and informative. Uh, obviously, you're doing great now. You're national vice president of the Conservative Party. Right. You're running Conway Direction Public uh, Relations, which is great. So awesome to see you, and thanks for coming by. Yeah, when I whenever I have uh, national council meetings or whatever, I talk to my I talk to the boss, which is usually me talking to myself, and I give myself permission to go. So <laughs> awesome, awesome. <laughs> All right. I can't thank Matthew enough for sharing his experiences with us, uh, his openness about uh, mental health and the stress that comes with being a political staffer is not just uh, brave, it's incredibly important. It's uh, a reminder that behind every policy, campaign and late night session, there are real people with real challenges. Uh, his story is a powerful testament to the, the strength and resilience needed in this line of work. And it's a wake up call for all of us to prioritize our well-being. You know, there was a time when uh, talking about one's mental health was seen as a sign of weakness. Uh, but listening to Matthew, it's clear how far we've come. He's not just open up about his struggles. He's thriving as the national vice president of the Conservative Party. It shows that being honest about our challenges doesn't hold us back. Uh, in fact, acknowledging them and seeking help can propel us even further. And we're all better off for this shift in understanding. And that brings us to the end of our episode. I hope you've enjoyed these insights into the world of political staffers as much as I have. It's been a journey down memory lane for me, um, reminding me of the uh, incredible years I spent as a staffer. It's a unique, challenging, and ultimately rewarding path. Uh, if you're out there thinking about a career in politics, I encourage you to reach out to the parties that spark your interest. Uh, talk to your local politicians. Keep an eye on social media for internship opportunities. Uh, they're often posted all over Facebook and other platforms, and it's a great way to get your foot in the door. Uh, to all the current staffers, take this quiet time to recharge. If you feel overwhelmed and need help, seek it. It's there as we're learning. Uh, and enjoy the holidays with your loved ones because, let me tell you, 2024 is just around the corner, and it's going to be one hell of a year. So, from me, Fred Delory, and everyone here on Background, we wish you a very happy Christmas break. Stay safe, stay warm, and let's all look forward to next week's episode of On Background. <laughs>